0: Welcome to the Purposeful Planning Podcast, where you'll gain tangible, practical suggestions to help you transform and elevate your practice. Our content is for both seasoned professionals working with complex family systems and those just entering the field. These podcasts will also be valuable for family leaders who are dedicated to helping individual family members find their pathway to flourishing lives. And strengthening the relational fabric of the family. Welcome and thank you for joining us. And now your host.
1: I want to welcome everybody to the Purposeful Planning Podcast. This is John A. Warnick, founder of the Purposeful Planning Institute. And joining me today are Lori Cicero, and Lisa Paul. Lori and Lisa have been with us before. Um, we're very grateful to Stephanie West Allen for having kind of found them and made me aware and then kind of brought them uh, to the PPI world. They did a webinar for us about three years ago. And Lori and Lisa, I'd love, before we dive into today's topic, I'd love to let each of you share the journey that you've been on. We call them professional or purposeful odysseys, but your stories of how you've been attracted to this work and where
0: it's been taking you. I'll I'll go ahead and start. Um, So I'm a licensed clinical
2: social worker. And um, initially in my work, I was working with um, community mental health, uh, domestic violence, and found myself getting burnt out in that field and decided to try something new. And that's when I stumbled into home hospice where I have been over 15 years. Um, there is where I found my, my passion in life, helping people, uh, to, to live and die well, um, helping guide people on their final stage of life. I also, uh, was fortunate enough to have about eight years of emergency medicine, social work, um, kind of concurrently with my hospice career, which has helped me understand, um, uh, medical crises and sudden death um, in a different way, which I think continues to give this wide range of understanding of um, how people die and, and the struggles that we have when we don't prepare. And that's that's how we um, began this project and this uh, purpose of ours with the death deck and our new EOL deck is through. The idea that if we can get people to be better prepared, uh, there will be uh, not only a more peaceful death, but also the loved ones left behind will have an easier um, time picking up the pieces.
1: Thank you, Lisa. And I should have mentioned the death deck. It's and and I know you're going to talk about the new kind of um, product you're bringing to market as well, Lori. Let's hear your purposeful odyssey story also.
3: Yeah, well, this was not a place I ever thought I would be in, in the end-of-life space and a game creator. I come from a background of film and television production, and uh, this all came from the unfortunate death of my husband, who had pancreatic cancer and ended up in hospice. But before that, we were on a track of uh, creating... Uh, Shows and books together. We had uh, just started a a family of fairly young children, and you just never know when life will throw you that unfortunate curveball, which was, of course, a pancreatic cancer diagnosis in his early 40s. So that sort of changed my complete life trajectory, um, threw me completely off. And was actually where I met Lisa, because she was the home uh, hospice social worker that came to our house and helped guided me through. And it really was from that experience of feeling like we were prepared. We had basic paperwork uh, coming into it, but we never had conversations around what we had written down, and what uh, we, he would have wanted in the final days, and it just was something that uh, really took me by surprise after he had passed, and after Lisa and I had had these conversations about, you know, the, how common it is for people to feel unprepared, as Lisa was saying, and not knowing, you know, what, what to ask, or what to do, so, from that, from many, many conversations we had, you know, we decided you know, we wanted to do something about it and to help people like me know and prepare and have conversations early and continue to talk about uh, these things so that when something like this happens, it's not so incredibly uh, difficult and chaotic.
1: So I'd love to hear, do you have a few lessons that your experiences as well as your service to others and And just the the energy, positive energy you've seen flowing from your collaboration together. What lessons have you learned that you could share with us around the importance of advanced care planning?
2: Well, as I mentioned, you know, I've worked within the emergency room setting as well as hospice. and, um, what I'll say is that, you know, if if someone comes into the emergency room with a, let's say a um, massive cardiac arrest and the family, there's a couple sons at the bedside, um, typically they don't come in with their advanced directive. And um, these two sons are are being peppered with questions from all of us about what, you know, what their dad would want in this situation. And it, it isn't that piece of paper that is even involved at that moment. Um, most of the time, well, quite often, we, d- we don't even uh, have time to look in the chart to see if that person has an advanced directive. You know, it is a seconds kind of conversation. And people,, um, they, with what they remember and what they know with confidence, is the conversations that they've had with their family members. So, you know, you you can take those two sons who've never talked with their dad about what he would want in in a catastrophic medical situation and and they're just deer in headlights and they do not know and maybe they'll argue back and forth about what they think. Um, But in that situation, we're gonna do everything because no one knows the answer and that is the default. Um, now, conversely, we have another, you know, sons who come in, who've had those conversations and their dad has said, I never want to be on a breathing machine. Don't do that to me. I never want to be, um, you know, if I'm gone, I'm gone. Don't do anything to try to bring me back. Those kind of comments and those kind of conversations, um, we have such an emotional attachment to those intense conversations that we remember them. And so, you know, again, that's one of the the goals of our death deck, and um, and even just even if you take away our wonderful tool and just have conversations about death and dying, um, it's those conversations that help give us the confidence when we're faced with needing to make a decision for our family
1: member. I think it's it's it, so realize that. There is Stephanie West Allen, who introduced the two of you to us, taught me 15 years ago about a branch of research being done in the world of psychology called mortality salience, which studies kind of how our cognitive functioning can be affected by being confronted with um, death or, or tragedy. And... It is I, I do find that these conversations are perhaps some of the most difficult, if not the most difficult to have with family members and clients. what What suggestions do you have to kind of help us increase our comfort level and, and to be able to spark these conversations that need to take place?
3: Well, I think one of the things is, to just acknowledge the fact that we we know we need to have these conversations you know it's 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 coming we're, we're all going to have a situation where a loved one is going to die or you know we're all going to die so we we know that we have to have these conversations i think sometimes what i've experienced is to sit down and do all the paperwork all at once is incredibly overwhelming it's like trying to do your taxes in a day it's like it's yeah. not gonna happen don't do that It's very stressful, but we know that we have to do that. But, you know, fortunately or unfortunately for taxes, you know, there's a deadline. We know we have to get it done by a certain date. But with these conversations, we don't. We don't actually ever really have to do them at all. I mean, we all should be doing them, but there is no sort of date. I mean, we have National Healthcare Decision Day, which we just had in April, that is helping to set that tone of, you know, here's a day that we should start talking about this. Here's a day we should start preparing for this. But just knowing that it's not a, you know, just get in there, fill out the paperwork and go, um, it's it's going to take a little time. And, you know, starting softly, starting slowly, uh, you know, getting just a couple of basics down. And I think one of the hardest things is sometimes with just having that icebreaker, and, and that's one of the reasons why we created this game with so many cards and so many questions. It doesn't just go right in f- into the you know let's let's sit down and do the will. It's you know there's other questions that that more gently ease you into the conversation and get you to start to think about answering some of these questions. So that's my long-winded way of saying. <laughs> You know, knowing that it's a huge task, starting to divide it into smaller pieces and just, you know, doing it now before you're in the moment of having to quickly do it. So take your time, do your homework, be prepared.
1: Beautiful advice. And I think I'd love to have you guys share a little bit more about the death deck, because I think there's not only an intentionality around the questions and the conversations they're going to lead to but you've tried to inject a little bit of levity and humor into this, right? Which is, I think there's some lubrication perhaps for the conversation there. Could you tell us a little bit more about the death Mm deck?
2: Well, I'll first start with just piggybacking a little bit on what Lori said and um, add that practice, practice makes perfect, right? Practicing, talking about death, increases our comfort. And so being able to um, have multiple ways that we can have conversations about death and dying can help increase that comfort level as well. So moving on to the death deck itself. um, So we have our, our death deck is our uh, initial product, 112 cards. Around 80 are multiple choice and the remainder are open-ended. And we designed them to be multiple choice for a couple reasons. One, so we can insert humor into, um, into the cards. Um, we wanted to add a little humor to make it a little bit lighter, a little more engaging, uh, take away some of the full um, seriousness of the topic and make it more accessible. We also use the multiple choice questions so we could treat it as a game. And as a game, uh, you can partner up and guess each other's answers. And this allows it to be a more lively type of interaction. Um, And what we found is that people are using the death deck to start conversations in advanced care planning. They're using them in um, community gatherings to normalize conversations on death and dying. Um, and, um, and then our, we have a new deck that we just launched, um, called our EOL deck or end of life deck, which is a little different than our death deck. It's, um, instead of having the, um, little skull and using the word death that our death deck has, we have a koala bear and the EOL deck, and, and this deck is a little bit more sensitive, and it's to be used with people with serious illness and who are um, have advanced age, basically p- people closer to the end of life. This is our, our new deck that asks more specific questions about end-of-life preferences, but our death deck is the tool that we play in bars and restaurants and all sorts of settings to normalize these conversations about
1: death and dying Lisa and Lori let me ask you and I love the fact that you've now been led to create the the EOL or end of life deck because I do think um, in a sense there's two dimensions here right there's the the, the dying um, and the impact of death and the wishes that uh, follow I I'm troubled right now with the situation I'm facing in my own practice where uh, a single individual uh, blind brilliant um, apparently by all of his friends descriptions well organized um, had multiple conversations with lots of people but none of it ever really got um, recorded and documented in a way so now we have this Huge disagreement. So I think having um, having cards that lead the conversations, which then can lead to action, um, helps there. But I also realize there is a big need on this end of life side of it as well. I'm curious are you, how do advisors, how, how does the prototypical PPI member, how can they help um, extend the? The positive impact of the work that that you, Lisa and Laurie, have done, and what what suggestions do you have for them?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think it, it would go back to
3: what I had said earlier about you know doing your homework and being prepared. I, I think maybe providing. Information ahead of time. I'm not sure how how often that's done. I know when uh, Joe and I went in, we just basically were handed the paperwork in the office and started filling it out. We we didn't want to talk about it before, and we we hadn't, so we were sort of put on the spot to make some decisions, which then got put in a binder on a shelf and never seen again. So I think having some documentation, uh, having some death deck cards, having some other things that people can preview and start to think about because these are big decisions I mean there's decisions you can always change uh, as you uh, grow and and maybe have different opinions on things but to be able to have some a little bit of prep yeah I think is is hugely helpful yeah
1: you know uh, go, go ahead Lisa
2: yeah I I agree and I think we um you know, we're coming at it from a um from a slightly different vantage point. Um, but when when we think about the grief experience for individuals and we think about how much their grief is impacted both by how the person dies um, as well as how prepared um they were and what kind of mess they left behind. As you're talking about with your client, you know, um I work with a lot of different hospice families, and first of all, I can tell when I walk in the room if they are open and have had conversations about death and dying, because there is a peace and there is a comfort level that um, typically results in a more peaceful ending, which then results in a more um, peaceful kind of grief process and then we have the the other experience where death is avoided talking about even while the person's on hospice, they'll, they'll tell us don't even tell them they're on hospice. Um, and the whole topic is avoided and if there is some paperwork um, it hasn't been discussed with people and um, and oftentimes those deaths result in the grief-stricken person having um, years of work to do to unravel their estate to unravel their accounts and all of these um natures. So, you know, we the there there's I, I think for their client for your clients, um, you know, the people that you're serving, they are going to have an easier time in their grief process and and be able to kind of mank you continue working with them as a client in a positive way, if they get this work done on the front end. And so, um, you know, we have our death deck as a tool. There's also some great um, more TV and movies coming out. Um, Our friend, uh, Elizabeth Copland, she is a playwright, and she wrote a play called Honoring Choices. And, um, and then they turn that into a film, it's only about 15 minutes, but it's a really great advanced care planning film that I think gets people thinking and talking as well. So, um, you know, one idea I would have is is to give your clients some resources in addition to that binder or those paperwork that Lori was sent home with. What what can you give them to help them be more prepared and which will on the back end, help you when the person dies and you're left helping them try to navigate the mess left behind.
1: I think, um, Lori and Lisa, I love the combination of your, your answers here. I think, Lori, from your experience, it, there was a shock, right? You were just kind of forced immediately to confront something with no preparation. And wow. um, it's a difficult subject. And from that mortality salience research, we know that when we're forced to think about death, the our minds tend to freeze. they They don't they don't function as well. The, there, there's a cognitive impairment um, of sorts that takes place. And the antidote to that is to lubricate the mind. And I love the suggestion of this film that's coming out. I we use i use with clients who are i'm trying to help them think more kind of long term and it's sometimes very difficult to see through a glass darkly you know and the future seems so unsure but and i'm not speaking just of planning for death or end of life decisions all aspects of estate planning and i found that there's um a, a video. It's 13 minutes called, I think, Turning Points, and it's it's just a a very touching uh, story. But it gets the heart and the mind lubricated to then have more deeper conversations around legacy issues. I hope this film will do the same thing. And I'd encourage those listening with us uh, to the podcast to think about how you can incorporate integrate the death deck and now the end of life. Deck into this, and as Lisa was suggesting, prepare your clients, give them these resources. Don't just thrust this upon them, as happened to Lisa. Um, I'd love—we're getting close to the end of our time together. I'd love to have each of you kind of sum up, wrap up, share final wisdom or thoughts, with the hope that this will—this conversation today is going to stick with people, and not only help them uh, do a better job, but assist their clients. And I love the thought that through these efforts, we can reduce the the difficulties of
0: grief for people as well. That's truly meaningful. Well, I will.
2: Well, thank you again for having us. Um, My my final words are,, um, you know, we are all going to die, and all of our clients are going to die too. And so, um, i I propose that it's helpful for your yourself to get comfortable talking about death and dying if you're trying to talk about it with your clients as well. So I encourage people, um, to, to practice having these conversations themselves and, and outside of, you know, a, a serious advanced care planning process, um, the more we talk about death and dying, the more comfortable we are asking questions about, um, about people's end of life preferences or what they have in place, the, the more our clients feel that and, um, and the more effective I think we can be. So, and, and I'll just add that you can find us at thedeafdeck.com and on our, all social media. We love to hear from people. If if anyone wants to reach out and talk with us about any additional ideas, um, we're happy to to support, and um, and we love to to hear from people.
3: Yeah, and I will add. You know, you you brought up the word legacy, John, and that just like reminded me of such a wonderful thing that happened when I redid my paperwork and uh, had someone help me guide me through that. And what they did, in addition to the paperwork and updating, was to do a legacy interview, which I thought was so important because I know uh, legacy. Um, videos and leaving letters behind, all of that is sort of those additional kind of supplemental extra credit, if you will, things that I think a lot of times we, we don't think about. I hadn't thought about um, prior, but I loved the fact that she, you know, included that as something as part of that. And I think that helped too with, you know, just talking about that, Made it e- easier to talk about other things. I mean, it, it's all sort of part of it. And when you're thinking about, you know, saying goodbye or leaving letters for people or letting them know how much you know you've appreciated them in your life, I think it's an important. It, it all adds to to being able to to ease. Uh, filling out all of the other paperwork. So I just wanted to add that. Um, And with that too, I mean, if there are things to orchestrate your own ending that you can include or want to include with that paperwork, that was one thing that really struck me. Joe lost the ability to speak at the end. So I had a lot of guessing of what he might have wanted, but it just seemed like in that situation, all of those things that we don't really think about or ask about, you know, what do you want to smell? Do you want to be touched or hugged what do you want to to see or feel like all of those things are, are also very important in in getting down on paper or letting your loved ones know as as sort of the again the the additional supplemental but full picture of sort of orchestrating that that ending for yourself so mm-hmm.
1: thank you lori and lisa for some beautiful summing up wisdom this has been a wonderful conversation thank you both
2: mm-hmm. Johnny, I just wanted to add that we we do have a a discount that we created specifically for this podcast, so wonderful listeners can um, can head over to the dot and enter PPI twenty, and uh, that'll also be I believe in the show notes, um, so people can see that there too.
1: That's very very um, generous of you both, and we deeply appreciate it and I'm inspired. I I feel that we are gonna make a difference. Let's all keep moving forward, doing everything we can in this arena because it's one that not only do clients avoid, I think as planners, many planners avoid it as well. So thank you for all of the wisdom you've
0: shared with us today.
2: Thank Thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's program, and if you are a member of the Purposeful Planning Institute, I want to invite you to come post in the community forum and share your key takeaways from today's conversation. And if you're not a member yet, here's your invitation to join us and be part of our community and access the network, resources, and tools you need to transform your client relationships and your practice. And don't forget to use promo code purposeful to receive a 10% discount on a membership. Learn more at PurposefulPlanningInstitute.com.